probably been a while since you heard that scripture read the Sunday after Christmas. It'll probably be a while before you hear it again. <laughs> I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that I get to share with you this morning. And I really appreciate our college students while they're in town offering their leadership while they're here. Thank you very much. I bet that if you've never had it happen to you, you've probably seen it happen to somebody else. You know, you get up on Christmas morning, and it's time to open this beautifully wrapped box that you've seen sitting under the tree with your name on it. And you are so excited because you just know that it's what you've been wanting or waiting for. Or you're so excited because you hope it's something really great. Ladies, you know that feeling of seeing a jewelry-sized box come out from under the tree? That's what I'm talking about. I couldn't think of one for guys like, you know, the size of a circular saw box or a hammer box. But you know that feeling. <laughs> and then you open it, and it's not really exactly what you expected, and not even close. I remember very, very vividly a time when this happened to my mom's best friend, Linda. About two weeks before Christmas, my mom was talking to Linda on the phone, which was not an unusual thing. They were talking, and apparently Linda was telling my mom how frustrated she was because there wasn't a single present under the tree with her name on it. And she had a husband two sons, and she was very frustrated. Well, the next week, Linda called all excited because not only was there now a present for her under the tree, it was a really big present, and she was so excited. It was a huge box, and it was wrapped really nicely, so she just couldn't imagine what it was. Not big enough to be a car, but, you know, something big and something nice. And she just couldn't wait until Christmas morning to unwrap it. And when she walked by it, her husband and her boys would say, and the boys were teenagers, they weren't little. When she would walk by, they would say, don't even touch it. Just don't even touch it because you're going to start tearing and peeking. So Christmas Day came, and apparently her family made her wait to be last to open up that big box. And I don't know if she got anything else from her boys or if she got anything else from Donald, but they made her wait until last to open this big present. And she was so excited that she could hardly wait. And she said her hands were shaking as she started to open it. And she ripped open the box from the top down. And then she just kind of stood there in silence. Because the big present, pretty much her only present, was a toilet. And we can laugh about that. Linda could not laugh about that. Her husband, Donald, though, was very, very happy. He was so happy. He just sat there grinning from ear to ear. And Donald was a man of few words anyway. And he had absolutely no idea why she was crying. And they weren't tears of joy. They were tears of frustration and anger. And he kept saying to her the same thing, apparently. You don't like it? You, you don't like it? Why don't you like it? It's exactly what you've been talking about and bugging me about all year. I thought you'd really like it. Apparently, the toilet in their master bathroom needed replacing, and she had complained about it all year. We need a new toilet. We need a new toilet. I need a new toilet. 
So he bought her a toilet, and he thought that was the greatest present known to man. I'm just here to tell you it's probably not. It's probably not. Linda just kept crying and saying, I know, I know it's what I kept asking for, but it's not really what I meant. And I certainly didn't want it now. I guess that toilet was eventually installed in the master bathroom. I'm not really sure when, though, because I know that it sat in their family room for a long time because I was there much after Christmas the next summer, and the box was still in the, in the family room. <laughs> and it was because they were both upset about it. She was upset that he bought it for her, and he was upset that she didn't want it. And so it just sat there, and they just walked around it. She vacuumed around it, and it just sat there for a long time. The passage that David read for us earlier from the book of Exodus tells a very similar story of expectations gone wrong. The Israelites were God's people, and they had been begging and pleading and praying for God to deliver them from the slavery that they were in while they were in Egypt. Every day, they got up and they went to work for somebody else's gain. They worked in harsh circumstances, and they didn't have much freedom. They couldn't decide where they went or when they went or where they could go even. They had, to say, they had no say over where they lived or what they did. The only real freedom that they had was to worship their own God, the God. And they did that. They prayed. They worshiped. They lived the life that God wanted them to live. And they were frustrated. They were likely thinking things like, If God loves us, why do we still have to live as slaves to a godless people? Why do we have to do this day after day? Why is it so hard, God? But even in their frustration, they continued to talk to God and to follow him. When the time was right, God raised up Moses as a leader of the Israelites. Remember the conversations between Moses and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? God told Moses to go and talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And so Moses said, God says, let my people go. Again and again, he said that. And again and again, Pharaoh said, nope, not going to do it, not going to happen. But then God changed Pharaoh's mind. It took a while, and it took some pretty miraculous, dire things happening, but God changed Pharaoh's mind. When the Pharaoh let the Israelites go, he basically sent them away. He just said, get out, get away. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. The Israelites were very happy to go. They did everything that Moses told them to, and everything that Moses told them to do were things that God told Moses to tell them. They only took what Moses told them to take. God told Moses what they could take, and they took what Moses said, and they left Egypt quickly and gladly. They were very happy to be free. They praised God for their freedom and asked for God's protection and guidance for a little while. And then the complaining started. Moses, Moses, why did you lead us out here to die? We are hungry. We wish we had stayed in Egypt. At least there we had enough to eat. Come on, Moses. Wah, wah, wah. Do you ever hear that at your house? Do you ever say that at your house? Wah, wah, wah. The complaining, the whining about what you have or what you don't have, what you prayed for, and then you got it. Moses wisely reminded God's people 
that they weren't complaining about Moses' leadership, but about how Moses was and about how Moses was treating them, but instead they were complaining about God's leadership and how God was treating them. In verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 16, it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? And again in verse 8, You will know it is the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So God himself provided food for the Israelites to eat, and the first word out of their mouths weren't, Oh, thank you, God, for hearing us, even if we were whining. Thank you for feeding us. We were so hungry. No, those first words they said were, what is it? What is it? That's what manna means. Literally, the word means, what is it? It wasn't what they were expecting, surely. They probably thought it wasn't even what they asked for. It didn't look like anything they had ever seen, and certainly not like anything they had ever eaten. They were used to bread that they made with their hands and flour in an oven, and they took it out of the oven, and it was warm. This bread was flakes. And it was laying on the ground. And it wasn't even the five-second rule. It was laying on the ground for a long time. And that was what God gave them to eat. And Moses said, pick it up and eat it. And the Bible says that it tasted sweet and it was good. And they understood, maybe, that God sent it for them because he loved them. It was exactly what they needed. God knew what they needed. He made them. He knew what they needed. And that he knew way better than they knew for themselves. And aren't we just like that too? Whether they were grateful or not, whether they understood and appreciated God's great love for them in that act of provision or not, he still did it. So now I want you to fast forward your brain a little bit. Whoops. There we go. Here, we're going to go back. Go reverse a little bit. Too many pages. Just a second. Oh, nope, right page, sorry. Not used to doing this very often. So now we are going to fast forward a little bit to a town about five miles from Jerusalem. You may have heard of it. It's a place called Bethlehem. A young mother and her fiancé, pretty far from home, no support of their family, and certainly no creature comforts, led to this place by God and God's messengers. And they were saying, how, God? Why? What's next? And then a baby is born, a baby that was promised a long, long time ago. Micah, a prophet in the Old Testament, says in chapter 5, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So even before Jesus was born, way before Jesus was born, he was promised. It was there in the scripture. The Israelites knew about it. They studied it. They knew to expect him. 
And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 4 and 6 through 7, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Not people, not us, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish those things. All these promises and so many, many more made to the Israelites and made to us. We have that Bible. We have that record. We know that those promises are for us too. A gift long awaited, long hoped for, long prayed for, came to this world, to us, God with flesh and bones, God in a manger. The season of Advent is one of waiting. We waited and we planned. We put up all these decorations when it was time to decorate. Look around you. They won't be here when you come back next week. Enjoy them today. There are lights, there are ribbons, there are ornaments. Our houses probably kind of look like this too, unless you live at my house. Very small decorations this year. But we prepared. There are lots of things that we did. The season of Advent, because it's one of waiting, at the beginning, we sang the plaintive and mournful words of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And for those of you who are music people, it's in a minor key, and it sounds mournful. It sounds like we are sad and like we are waiting for something, because we were and we are. And that's how we start the season. We're sad and we're mournful. And this is what the words say. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show. And cause us in her ways to go. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And now I'm going to ask you to fast forward again. To John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 and John is one of the Gospels in the New Testament 
And on this side of Christmas Day, we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those people, those Israelites who had so long prayed for that Savior, for that Deliverer, John talks about them. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They prayed for him, they looked for him, they longed for him, and then when he came, they didn't recognize him. As he got older and he started his ministry, the people not, didn't only not recognize him, they fought against him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did all they could because he was a threat to them. Early on in the birth stories, when we hear about Herod, Herod said, ooh, hey, wise men, come back and tell me because I want to worship him too. But that's not the truth. He was a threat to Herod too. So from the beginning, those people who longed for and prayed for him didn't receive him but sought to move him away while they waited for the true Savior to come. Who are we? Are we like the Israelites who complained to God in the desert and said, you saved us to kill us out here in the desert? Do we feel that way? Are we like the Israelites who received him later on and said, a Savior? Yeah, we don't think so. We need something else. Do we talk to God that way? If we truly believe the words of the Gospel of John, we should be living them. Not like the Israelites who wandered in the desert complaining about what they had been led into. And not about the Israelites who were in Israel when Jesus arrived. But we should be living like we are the shepherds who were called to the manger and who left the manger praising God for all that they had seen and heard. God's glory and truth revealed to us in flesh and bones, a glorious gift indeed, and not always quite what we thought. Because what do we do with them now? Have you ever gotten a present and you're like, oh, that's great, but what do I do with it now? I don't really have room for it. I don't know what it does. I'm not sure what to do with it. What do we do with those parts of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that are hard? Do we really mean 
bind all people in one heart and mind? Do we really want envy, strife, and quarrels to end? Are we ready for the whole world to be filled with heaven's peace? Because that's what that baby in the manger means. God with flesh on called us to do more than pretend that we love and follow him. It's more than a Sunday thing or a church thing. It's a life thing. When we are called and we answer, we should live like it. When it's time to put away all the trappings of the season, and some of you do it earlier than others, some of you don't put it up until later, and some of you leave it up until February, some of you put it up the day after Halloween, and some of you take it down Christmas Day. Everybody does it a little bit differently. But when it's time to put away those trappings of the season, don't forget to keep the baby in the manger alive in your heart and in your daily life. In my office, just a second, In my office, I have a couple of nativity sets that I keep out all year long. One of them right now is on the glass top table in front of the sofa right outside the narthex. And that's for little hands to play with because I want them to know who God is and what the story of Jesus coming to us means. And so that's for little hands to hold. This one I keep out, and it's just a little clay pot with little hay and a little head to represent Jesus. I keep this out with the clay pot Mary and the clay pot Joseph to remind me that Christmas is for every day. It's not just for December 25th, and it's not just for this season. It's for every day. My friend Martha Parker, if y'all know Martha, has a lot of nativity sets, and her nativity sets stay out all year, too. When she travels, she gets different ones from different places, and they remind her of the places that she's been. And I haven't heard her say this. But I think she means, too, it reminds her of all the places that Jesus is, all the places where Jesus is, where she is not. We can't all be in all places at all the time, but God can. And so because we are where we are, when we are there, it's important to us to act like Jesus is present with us. So don't box that Jesus up and leave him in the box for 11 months out of the year and just pull him out for a, year, for a month at Christmas. Have him with you all the time. Whether you've got one like this or not, live like he's with you all the time. He's alive in the ways that we treat each other. He's alive in the ways that we <coughs> excuse me, choose to stand for those who can't stand up for themselves. The poor, the weak, the ones on the margins. Boys and girls, He's alive in us when we stand up for people who are bullied. He's alive in us and with us when we are careful about the ways that we treat people who live on the outside. He lives in the ways that we choose to spend our time and our dollars. He lives in the ways that we choose to worship him at times other than just Sunday morning. Because again, it's not just a Sunday thing. So now that you know what's in the little box, in the little cave in Bethlehem, what will you do with it? You can choose today whether to box it up and only take it out on Sunday, or box it up and only take it out on Christmas, or you can choose to let it live with you all the time. And as part of my gift to you, if you'll look at your watch, it's only a quarter till 12, 
And so you're going to have a few extra minutes today to go out and practice God with us, Jesus alive with you. And how will you do that? It's the time in our service where you can respond to the gift that was so freely given to you. And there are lots of ways you can do that. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, now is a good time to do that. If you've been feeling like Huguenot Road is a place that God is leading you to worship and serve, now is a good time to make that commitment. And if you just feel like you need to come up and pray with me or by yourself or with another staff person or here at the manger, you can do that too. Let's stand as Jessica comes to lead us in hymn number 118.